This podcast discusses topics that may cause distress to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Mother's Day 1999. A lone car makes its way north from Adelaide, a city in southern Australia. 24-year-old David Johnson accompanies his stepbrother, 19-year-old Jamie Vlaslakis, on a drive to Clare, a town about 136 kilometers, or 84 miles, <laughs> north of Adelaide. David believes that Jamie is taking him to pick up a cheap computer, but Jamie has something far more evil in mind. It's night as they reach Snowtown, a quiet town with a population of a couple hundred. They pull up outside an old brick building, once used as a bank. David Johnson will be the final victim in one of the most shocking and gruesome series of murders in the history of Australian crime. It will be two weeks before police are alerted to anything suspicious and search the former bank. What they find is horrific and will give the isolated rural community of Snowtown an international reputation for all the wrong reasons. Hello my little ghosties, I'm Kaylin. I'm Kayla. And this is Ghost Tea, a podcast where we talk all things true crime and paranormal. Let's get into it. So, firstly, a disclaimer. So, due to the time that these crimes were, uh, we're unsure of how two of the victims identified. Some sources have claimed that Lane and Gardner were pre-op trans women, while others have disagreed and just said that they like to dress feminine. Okay. Um, I don't feel safe making the call of gendering them. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to refer to them by their surnames, as well as using gender-neutral pronouns. Okay. Adelaide is known as Australia's city of churches. Um, It's been planned since, like, the founding of the time. Really? I didn't know that. It's, like, super... It's weird, because, like, Melbourne... So, like, in Adelaide, they have blocks, like a square block. You can, like, turn here, turn here, and get right back onto your road, right? Oh, okay. Whereas Melbourne is a little bit more crazy. Like, you could turn left, turn left, turn left, and then end up on a completely different street. Okay. So, like, it's meticulously planned. Really? Like, specifically for churches? Well, it's just got a lot of churches there. Oh, okay. But, like, they just, like, from, like, its inception, it's just been really carefully planned. Oh, okay. However, in the, uh... 20th century, um, it kind of started to go a bit downhill. A lot of, like, um, like low-cost government housing hmm. was, like, popping up. Okay. Um, just north of Adelaide, low-cost government housing spreads like wildfire. Along the streets of duplicate prefabricated houses, prospects are bleak and unemployment is high. They become a breeding ground of disillusionment, despair, and inevitably crime, uh, criminal activity. <laughs> Sorry about that. My Jack cat has something to say. He's getting in one of his tunnels. He'll settle down Did in a second. Baby. <laughs> so, 22-year-old Clinton Trezais is one of the residents of the Adelaide suburb of Salisbury North. Despite a difficult family life with most of his younger years spent in foster care, Josias has grown into a carefree, independent, and likable young man. It isn't long before he's befriended by two locals, Barry Lane, who also was known as Vanessa, mm-hmm. um, uh, though we don't know, so uh, Lane and Robert Wagner. However, Clinton is unaware that Lane and Wagner are members of a group of social misfits led by a dangerous psychopath. So it's August 1992. Clinton is invited to a house party at 203 Waterloo Corner Road in Salisbury North. 
While sitting in the lounge room, Clinton is suddenly attacked from behind, causing him to fall to the ground. He's then struck repeatedly to the back of the head. Oh my god. <laughs> We're getting in. Um, the killer then summons his mates, Warner and Lane, Wagner and Lane, that was a typo on my behalf, who live nearby. Together they drive north into the country and dig a shallow grave on a farm. Um, Clinton's sister attempted to file a missing person's report on her brother. Yeah. However, nothing was filed until three years later. What? Why? When his mother finally files one. So, like, the sister straight away was like, hey, my brother's missing. He usually comes around, haven't seen him. The police are like, yeah, 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 love, whatever, whatever. But why didn't the mom start one right away? Why did it take her three years? Exactly. I could not find anything on why this mother took three years to file a missing person's report. Do you think they were in on it? No. No. I think, because he was in foster care as a kid. Okay. So I think maybe it was both parents that couldn't, like, handle him. So I think he had more of a relationship with his two siblings than he did with his parents. Oh, okay. Okay. That's why the sister wanted to at first. But still, why didn't she? That's so weird. Especially because the sister, at least from a lot of the interviews that I saw, seemed to be a fair bit older than Clinton. Okay. So it was almost like she had raised them. Like a maternal like the, instinct, you know, yeah. yeah. You still think would, but I don't know. I know, it's weird. But, you know, I guess if I had to file a missing persons report on any of my siblings, it wouldn't be taken uh, seriously, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um... It will be two years before the remains of Clinton Trezise are found, and then even longer still before he, he's finally identified. Oh, my God. Uh, along with the many other victims. So the killer is, psychopath, is a psychopath named John Bunting. He's described as a stocky man in his mid-twenties. He's, cruel, he's a cruel and malevolent monster who lives with his illiterate and partially blind wife, Veronica Tripp. Don't know why so many people had to, like... Like, yeah, she's literate. <laughs> she's partially blind. In the 90s? Like, I mean... Why did they have to focus on that? Like, most of the articles that I read were like, yeah, she's illiterate. I'm like... Actually, quite Isn't a few of these people... blind? And partially blind. Oh, partially blind. Still. Yeah. Um... There are quite a few characters in this story who are considered illiterate. I think they're just trying to, like, reiterate the whole, um, these people are, you know, no good layabouts, which, you know, they kind of suck, but... That's not okay. So they're, they're calling, they're saying that about the people who have died? No, no, these are the, the people who are in on everything. Oh, they're yeah, trying the, the to murders. play up. Yeah, them. they're trying to be like, you know, they just, you know... I thought he was saying that <laughs> no, about no, the no. victims, and I was like, uh... No, no, no. Not the victims. I mean, not that it's any better, but still. No. Like, <laughs> um, so they live in the Waterloo Corner house. Okay. The victims or the... Uh, the, the killer and his wife. Oh, okay. Um, as a child, he enjoyed torturing insects by mixing all different chemicals before dropping the insects in to watch them die. Classic serial killer. <laughs> Soon, he is dissatisfied with insects and moves on to animals. Oh, no, don't tell me cats. To the point of where he got a job in a meat factory. Oh, my God. Uh, where he took great joy, and I <sighs> quote, in the slaughtering of animals. Oh, my God. He would often talk to others about how much he loved his job. Ugh. At eight years old, Bunting, the killer, claims that he was attacked by his friend's older brother. 
Bunting said he was beaten and sexually assaulted by him. And this would be the event that began Bunting's aversion to all things homosexual and pedophilia. Which, just as a side note, are two very different things. Yes. (laughs) And they always come up with the fact when they're talking about serial killers, that there's always a start. There's always something that kind of, like, jogs them into Mm kind of doing certain things. Yes. Because there are people out there that kind of do the insects and the animals when they're younger, Mm -hmm. but they kind of grow out of it. They don't really have that, like, start to it, you know? So, like, it really begs to question whether or not they are kind of catapulted into Mm -hmm. being a serial killer or Mm -hmm. if they uh, are really just born that way. Mm -hmm. And... I really want to find out, do you know if he has the MAOA gene, the serial killer gene? I couldn't find anything anywhere about it. Okay, I kind of want to start doing that, see if we can find anything. We can look into it. Sorry, we can Um, cut that out. Oh, no, it's fine. This this is is what this podcast is for. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Though I will say that the whole, he preyed on people who were, like, he basically... Like, as a note, this whole thing centers around homosexuals and pedophiles, or alleged homosexuals and pedophiles. So he just hated both of those groups of people. Um, Was he a homo? Was he No, he was not gay, but he was saying that because he was sexually assaulted by a friend's older brother, that's, that's kind of what got in his head that, like, you know homosexuality is disgusting and, like, pedophiles, which obviously pedophiles are disgusting. Oh, yeah. But, like, you know, it was just this, like, thing that he couldn't let go of. Yeah. So he would purposely look for people who were gay or who, like, literally one of his mates could be like, oh, yeah, he touched a little boy. And he'd be like, well, guess he's on the list. Like, it was just all hearsay. I mean, that's awful that that happened to him as a child, but that does not say go kill people. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, It gets better, though, because as a teenager, he developed an interest in neo-Nazis and white supremacy. Oh, my God. Um, And kind of just, like, he read Mein Kampf. Uh, It was, like, Hitler's book. Oh, like, he why was, did like, I not obsessed with it? Why like, did I not know that Hitler had a book? <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> um, and like most uh, sociopaths, he has been described as a good listener, kind, compassionate, mm. and empowering. Uh, and he was said to have a knack for talking to people and befriending them and making them feel connected. Mm. Uh, however, he was also called a master manipulator. Yeah, it's all a front. They kind yeah. of they copy your emotions, yeah. which is really scary. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so at the Waterloo Corner Road house, he met his neighbors, Lane and Wagner. Um, Bunting and Wagner would especially bond over their upbringing, whereas Bunting merely tolerates Lane due to their relationship with Wagner. Um, Wagner was a troubled kid who grew up in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. At home, he was beaten by his stepdad. At school, he was always getting into trouble, um, and also struggled with illiteracy. He met Lane, who was 30 at the time, while hanging around the northern suburbs, and the two begin a relationship. Wagner is 14. Wow. The two become frequent visitors in Bunting's home, as does another friend, Mark Hayden. Like the other, Hayden has fallen under Bunting's evil influence. Um, He is a man with few words, who is fascinated with John Bunting's sick obsession with cruelty and vengeance. So he's basically collecting people that 
um, you know, are on like a pension, like a social security kind of, you know, situation who, you know, probably just did the most they could in school before dropping out. Like, you know, I'm only going here because I have to go here. And as soon as I can leave, I'm dropping out, you know. People who just don't really want to think for themselves and is just master manipulator. This is like an Australian Manson family, like, case. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, a little bit. Oh my god. (laughs) Um, So... In August 1994, yeah, August 16th, 1994. So two years later. Two years later. Two farmers make a gruesome discovery at Lower Light, 50 kilometers north of Adelaide, so about 25 miles. Um, They find a shattered human skull and other skeletal remains. Um, However, they're unable, the police are unable to identify the body. Um, It will be another five years before Clinton Josias is finally identified. that's so sad yep and like it's even worse because I watched a documentary on it first because I wanted to like I'm like rather than just read articles and articles I'm gonna use this as a starting point I'm proud of you (laughs) I think it made it harder because they were showing pictures of the and he just looked like any kind of guy that like one of my brothers could have been mates with like just you know this 22 year old kid who you know could have gone on and done so much stuff yeah and like there was no reason they just like and it wasn't a lot of these other victims were picked because they knew that they were gay or they were told that they were a pedophile this kid was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and Bundy was like yeah I'm gonna kill him oh my god like there was no reason at all that's why I was saying I was proud of you because you, you were seeing pictures of it and everything, and I know how hard it is for you to cover it true gets crime. Worse, like, <laughs> I and I'm I've become aware that this is a serial killer thing, mm-hmm. but like it starts off with they just bashed him over the head, mm-hmm. and then it just that wasn't enough. So then we're gonna do this, and then that wasn't enough. So now mm-hmm. we're gonna try and do this, and at the end of it, it was just. It always gets worse. Dark. It always escalates. They're honing their skill, I yeah, guess you could say. Exactly. So while they are discovering the remains of Clinton, um, Bunting has continued to gather more social outcasts. Again, quote. Um, among them is Elizabeth Harvey, who moves in with Bunting at Waterloo Corner Road. And his wife. <laughs> like, just moves in. Um, she brings her two sons, Troy Yude and Jamie Vlaslakis. Vlaslakis is 14 and Yude is 17, and both of the boys have been sexually abused as children by Vlaslakis' birth father. Oh in turn, Yude has then sexually abused Vlaslakis. This is what Bunting needs to get Vlaslakis under his control. 24-year-old Roy Davies lives in a rented caravan not far from the house on Waterloo Corner Road. Davies is on a pension for the intellectually disabled. In 1995, Davies is confronted by his landlady, Susan Allen. One of Allen's grandsons had told his grandmother, or told his mother, that Davies had sexually assaulted him around Christmas time. The mother then tells the landlady, his, her mother. Um, Davies claims that he's innocent, but Allen reports him to the police anyway. 
She then tells her neighbour, John Bunting. And this is all that Bunting needs to justify his urge to torture and kill. Davies is overpowered by Bunting before being bound and thrown into the boot or trunk of a car. He drives Davies into nearby bushland and beats him before driving back to Bunting's house because let's just drive him all around the city. Um, Bunting uses the fact that Elizabeth Harvey is also convinced that Davies is a pedophile to his advantage. He goads her into taking part in the assault and torture of Davies. Wagner is also present. Bunting watches as Wagner and Harvey strangle Davies to death with jumper leads. He is then buried in the backyard of Bunting's home. Nobody seems to care how or why Davies has disappeared. He simply fades out of existence and is never reported missing. Susan Allen, who is 47, meanwhile, has become obsessed with Bunting. She thinks the sun shines out his backside because she's... he's rid the world of a pedophile who has assaulted allegedly her grandson. Despite the fact that he's not only married to Veronica and having an affair with Elizabeth Harvey, the two begin a sexual relationship. And this man is not that attractive. (laughs) They never are. I mean, he just kind of looks like a, you know, random everyday guy that, like, I'm sure some people are attracted to him, but it's not like it's like I don't know, like Chris Hemsworth or like some super attractive dude. That's how I felt about Ted Bundy. I was not attracted Mm -hmm. to him, but there were so many people back then that were like fans, like adoring fans, like screaming over him. And I was just like... Like the people that cry (laughs) and like write letters to them in prison. Uh, Yeah. They look like serial killers to me. Yes. (laughs) can tell. he looks like serial... Oh, a picture will be posted on Instagram. Great. We'll show you pictures, but... Oh my gosh. (laughs) Another guy. Like, but go off, I guess. (laughs) Um, however, this obsession, uh, and constant sexual advances begin to annoy Bunting. And in November of 1996, she disappears. Police go to her home after the family finally reports her missing, and they are disturbed to find her normally neat and tidy home trashed. Even more concerning, her pets were in the home. So Alan is a keen animal lover and supposedly would never leave her animals at home. Um, which was concerning to friends and to the police because they're like, well, hang on a minute. This woman, like, would never just leave her pets and go off somewhere. But they just couldn't find her. Oh, my God. Um, Bunting and Wagner know exactly where she is. Dismembered, put in rubbish bags, and buried in the backyard in Waterloo Corner Road. So along with Davies. So it's not just pedophiles and homosexuals? No. Oh, my Uh, God. It seems to be... He has an issue with overtly sexual things. Oh, okay. Because a couple of the... There's... Most of the victims were male. There were a couple of female victims. And the way that they, like, explained off their reasons that they had to die was because they were just overly sexual towards them. Wow. And they were like, yeah, it's disgusting. Like... Yeah. So... (laughs) Gets better. (laughs) There is no direct evidence of foul play, so she is simply declared missing, and that's that. Um, they later claim, however, that they found Alan dead from a heart attack, and that they only dismembered and hid her body so that they could collect the social security payments. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, also in 1996, big year for everybody, 
Uh, Bunting, Harvey, Ude, and Vlaslakis move around 100 kilometers, so about 50-ish miles, away to the town of Murray Bridge. Despite the distance, Bunting and Wagner stay in contact, driven by greed and an insatiable bloodlust. Bunting constructs a chart of potential victims, various acquaintances that he decides, in some strange delusion, are all child molesters. He calls this chart the Wall of Spiders. At the centre of the chart is convicted sex offender Lane, uh, his accomplice at the burial of Clinton Trezise. So 1997, um, Gardner, uh, Michael Gardner, um, who is also known as Michelle, um, is a flamboyant and lovable person. Uh, They too have a troubled life. Their stepfather resented them uh, because of their openness and sexuality. At 14, after they were sexually abused by a family friend, they are put in foster care. However, at age 19, they're coming to terms with life and all that that includes. Gardner rents a room in in the home of Nicole Zarita, who lives nearby Robert Wagner. Um, Wagner is also connected to Nicole Zarita through her cousin, Vicky Mills, who lives nearby and the two are having an affair. Um, it's through these connections that Gardner gets to know Wagner and Mills. An incident involving Gardner and one of Mills' children uh, causes Wagner and Mills to fly into a, range, a rage. They come home one day to discover Gardner playing with the kids, chasing them around the room, having fun. When Gardner catches the child, they accidentally put their hand over the kid's mouth. In, and this is seen as a sinister move by Mills and Gardner, whereas he could have just grabbed the kid and, yeah. you know, like, I caught you, whatever. Yeah. Um, soon afterwards, Nicole Zarita, the landlady, goes on holiday. Wagner and Bunting get together and attack. Gardner is abducted and taken to a shed at the back of Bunting's house in Murray Bridge. There, Gardner is tied up, tortured, and strangled. The attackers will later hack off Gardner's limbs and throw them into an acid-filled barrel in the shed. Bunting and Wagner then ransack Zarita's home, searching unsuccessfully for Gardner's wallet, hoping to obtain the bank and ID details to access their benefits. They also take all of Gardner's belongings, as well as some of Nicole's, to make it look like Gardner has robbed her and run away. Unfortunately for them, Zarita later finds Gardner's wallet in the room. Um, it had fallen under the bed, oh. and they just didn't search under there. Oh, idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Not the smartest cookies, but I mean, we'll get to that also. Um, so this leads to her getting calls from someone saying that they're a friend of a friend of Gardner, and that they need their ID. She informs them that she will return the wallet when Gardner returns her things. This leads to more threatening calls, including one from someone claiming to be Gardner, which Nicole dismisses. She feels unsettled and wary of the situation, which isn't made any better by Vlaslakis, such a tricky word to say, (laughs) Vlaslakis, hanging around both before and after Gardner's disappearance. However, she eventually hands Gardner's wallet to Vlaslakis. Despite her remaining concern for her border's whereabouts, the general alarm bells about Gardner's disappearance fade away. The police always do this. I always get so frustrated listening to every podcast where the police just, hey, is anyone home? No? Okay, bye. And they just, like, they always pass them or, like, they don't do anything. And it's so infuriating. It's frustrating because they're, 
And like the whole thing with this area being low income housing, it's just like, well, you know, sure, they disappeared. Like they specifically preyed on people who weren't really going to be missed by the general public. That's so sad. Like a lot of these people are on some sort of pension, so they're not working. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're having to go into work every day. And someone, you know, they stop showing up and everyone's like, oh, weird. Mm-hmm. Jimmy is not showing up or whatever. Oh, it's so sad. So, like, they were smart, but they were also not smart. Yeah. Bunting has only ever tolerated Lane because of their relationship with Bunting's partner in crime, Robert Wagner. So, didn't you say Lane was in the middle of his, like, spiders mm-hmm. nest thingy? So, I'm so confused. So, Lane started... So Lane helped hide Clinton Trezise's body. He was yeah. there when Clinton was killed. Yeah. But the only reason that Bunting, like, tolerated Lane was because Lane and Wagner were dating. Oh, okay. So even though they're dating, he's, like, at the center of, like, this is the ultimate, like, pedophile. Like, this is the man what? that I want to kill. Well, he was 30 when he started dating a 14-year-old. That's kind of creepy. Oh, I forgot Wagner was 14. Yeah. Oh, my god. So gosh. Wagner's older now. Like, they've been together this whole time. Wow. Um, That's still really disgusting. Yeah. Oh, my god. Yeah. Like, it's, it's yucky. Yeah, it anyway. is. Um, however, the two of them have broken up now. And Lane now has a new lover who is 18 years old. Okay. So now it's a pattern. Mm-hmm. Thomas Trevelyan is the name of the new lover, who is also on a uh, mental disability pension. Oh, that's just... Uh, and is obsessed with all things military. Okay. <laughs> so Bunting is also aware that Lane has been talking. To Bunting, his web of spiders, that ever-expanding network of all, ed- all alleged pe- pedophiles, seems to have one common denominator, convicted sex offender Lane. Bunting and Wagner convince Trevelyan to go with them to Lane's house, where they burst in and subdue the startled Lane. They torture them into making a phone call to Lane's mother in Adelaide to verbally abuse her and put her off the scent of their disappearance. Wait, Bunting convinces Wagner to go into Lane's house? So Bunting, Trevelyan, and Wagner go to... So Bunting, the ex-boyfriend, and the current boyfriend all go over to Lane's house. And they, like, attack and subdue him. And then they force Lane to call their mother in Adelaide, so Lane's mother in Adelaide, and be like, you F and B, I hate you, like, you suck, like, I'm moving to Queensland, like, I don't want anything to do with you, I hate you, I've always hated you, like, just abuse the mother, right? But for why? To throw her off the scent. Oh my god. Because, like... But why would the ex and the new boyfriend do that? Because Bunting has convinced them both that Lane is evil and yucky, which he is kind of yucky. Yeah. And just be like, hey, like, <laughs> this guy is abusing you. Like, you should kill him. It really just shows how easy people can be manipulated. Mm-hmm. Because, like, <laughs> he's like, hey, this is kind of gross. And they're like, yeah. He's like, do you want to go over there and just, like, kill, kill this him? guy? Sure. And yeah. they're like... I think, yeah, that sounds yeah, good. Think, just... you know, I've got to be somewhere at nine, but sure, <laughs> I can squeeze in some killing at seven. No not? problem, yeah. yeah. Acid bats in the back, sure. Sure. <laughs> God, <laughs> why? Basically. But then, the call's over, the mother's like, mm, okay, I guess. <laughs> wow, how odd. Yeah. 
so they keep torturing him. And apparently beating people in the head is not enough now. And we're starting to go into different things because they use pliers to crush Lane's toes before beating and strangling them. Uh, and while they're strangling them, they're like, give me your money and your financial details. And so Lane gives it to them. Oh my god. Like, here's my cards, here's my ID, here's everything. Like, they can now access their bank account and their disability pension. So it's like murder, but it's also money. This is like hardcore, like, torturing, though. So it's not just, hey, want to go over and just, like, kill a guy? It's like, let's torture this man. And they were just on board? It gets worse. Like, okay. it gets so much worse. For Lane. No. Thankfully, uh, Lane just gets away with his toes crushed and, I mean, killed. Oh, they don't. Oh, they kill him. They kill, no, they kill I him. I thought you said gets away, and I was like, oh. Well, no. Compared to some of the other victims, like, if I could pick any of the victims to be, and I had to be tortured in some way, Lane got off pretty easy. Oh, my gosh. Like, they really start to slip very quickly. Like, their sanity starts to slip very quickly. And and it just... Does Wagner and... What was the other guy's name? I can't remember. Bunting or Trevelyan? Trevelyan. I yeah. couldn't remember how to say it. Does Wagner and Trevelyan just help him kill from now on? Well, you know, well, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I've listened to too many true crimes. No, it's fine. <laughs> So Lane is then wrapped in, Lane's body is then wrapped in carpet and left in the house for a number of days. Oh, I hate that for them. Before they remove it, they take it away to be dismembered and then put in a barrel. So they they let him sit and ruminate for a little while. And then they're like... soft? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Oh, God. Then they take him away and chop him up. Oh, my God. That's so And they put him in a barrel. And so... 10 days, it's 10 days until a female friend of Lane reports they're missing. She tells the police that Lane has spoken to her about Clinton Trezai's death. She's skeptical at the truth of Lane's words, but passes it along to the police anyway. Good, somebody says something. No one ever says anything in these cases. This woman is brave. However. Oh, no. <laughs> the police have a bogus tape recording in their, pos- in their position. Position? Possession, that's where it's supposed to be. <laughs> and believe Lane to have moved to Queensland. I So they're starting to get their victims to record a fake recording, being like, hey, I'm fine, everything's fine. F the police. Uh, I'm moving here, or don't worry about me, I'm fine. Like, So they're getting smart, but they're also getting dumb. I just hate every time I listen to these and the, they just like, the police just kind of goes, oh, like I imagine them like holding jello and trying to like hold jello in their hands and it's just like slipping through their fingers and they're just kind of like, I'm <laughs> dropping it. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. ah, like it just oh, it makes me so I, mad. I feel like, okay, well, I just got out of my notes. Someone has got a gun to my head and they give me a recording and they say, read this off into the thing. I'm reading this off and it's not supernatural. If I'm reading this off and I've got a gun to my head, I'm like, 
hey, uh, I'm okay. <laughs> and um, everything, like, would you not hear that? Or and right. be like, oh, hmm, this sounds kind of weird. Who's not crapping their pants recording that? Not like, to genuinely. mention, they crushed his toes. Oh, my God. I, I would be about in so that. much pain. And you've got a tape recorder in my face telling me to read off this crap. Like, I'm sorry, this man deserves an, this person deserves an Oscar, because there's no way that I would hear a recording of someone in that level of pain, like, even, like, the best actor in the world wouldn't be able to be in that much pain and record a statement, like... Also, where, are they just sending these recordings to the police station? I guess. And then when that person comes up missing, the police are like, oh, nope, totally, this is, yeah, we got, got a tape. tape yep, like, nope. This, months ago we received a tape, this must be true. Like, like, how? I know, I don't know a whole lot of cop, but police officers, but I know a couple, and they're not dumb. No. Like, no, the ones I know There's no way that they would get that sort of thing and be like, hmm, weird. They went missing, but hey, they've explained, they've let us know that they're going missing. Yeah. And then everything is fine. <laughs> and there's no need to worry. <laughs> <laughs> There's no more in Bossing Say. Oh, I forgot. Yes. Oh, no, wait, no, you no, watch I, Avatar. I, I, okay. I, I, I don't. I've seen it. Yeah. I don't like it. I've seen it. Our Avatar fans out there yeah. will like it, though. <laughs> so, following Lane's murder, Thomas Trevelyan, the most recent partner of Lane. Yeah, I was about to say. Things, so, Wagner's the ex. Wagner's the ex. Trevelyan and is the in- current. Uh, yeah. yeah, although his poor Lane is dead yeah. now. They're dead. Right. <laughs> so Thomas Trevelyan moves in with Robert Wagner and his girlfriend, Vicky Mills. I guess all the killing really bonded them. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if Vicky is 100% aware of the situation. It's never mentioned. Oh, really? Like, she's not really mentioned in this other than, like, these couple of times. Okay. Um, she so... must have known. Surely. Surely. I don't know why you would stick around, because she has kids. Like, why would you stick around in that situation with your kids when you're living with your murderer boyfriend? Some some people feel like they can't get out, but still... True. I feel like as a mother's instinct, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Anyway. Um, so Trevelyan's now living with Wagner and his girlfriend. Um, however, Trevelyan is unstable, emotionally erratic... Um, and soon confides in a cousin that he's been involved with Lane's murder. And is now concerned for his own safety. (laughs) Which, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Bunting and Wagner believe that Trevelyan will tell someone about what has happened sooner rather than later. In their twisted minds, Trevelyan has to die. Taking advantage of his troubled background, they stage a suicide. Uh, he's found hanging from a tree in the Adelaide oh, Hills. Oh, that's so sad. For some years afterwards, police believe that Trevelyan's killed himself. I mean, he murdered too, so I'm not trying to feel bad for a murderer, but he's still a human being. It's not really said how much murder, because it was only Lane's murder that he was present for. Yeah. So, it's not really said... And we weren't there. ...just what he did. Yeah. Um, because... In a couple of the later murders, they make another accomplice watch the first one, I think. And, like, show... Like, they show him the body of a couple of victims, and then they're like, Here, sit here and watch while we kill this person. Oh my gosh. So, we don't really know how much he was involved in, 
just that he has told his cousin that he was involved in the murder. Wow. Um, so it's now early 1998. Um, Vaslakis, Jamie Vaslakis is now a heroin addict and still living in Bunting's house. So this is the 14 year old that is the son of Bunting's girlfriend. So Bunting is dating Elizabeth Harvey, mm-hmm. married to Veronica Tripp, <laughs> but has left Veronica and moved a hundred kilometers away from Adelaide, where Veronica lives. Okay, and that's her son. That's Vlaslakis uh, is Harvey's son, so the new girlfriend's okay. son. So it's been a couple years since they've done killing. Uh, it's been a year since a year. They, uh, they didn't say when Trevelyan killed himself. Yeah. Um, but it was in 1997. Okay. So 1998, Vaslakis is a heroin addict and still living in Bunting's house, along with his mother, Elizabeth Harvey. Gavin Porter is a friend of Vaslakis and a fellow addict, and has also moved in with the family. Okay. The Mansons. <laughs> However, this is going to prove dangerous to Porter, as Bunting has now added drug, a- drug addicts to his hate list. Oh my god. Um, Bunting excuses his protege Jamie's drug use, um, but he loathes Gavin Gavin Porter. On top of this, Gavin is schizophrenic and on a pension. Oh, wow. Soon, Bunting has his bank details and PIN number. Of course he does. Uh, However, it's not until Bunting accidentally pricks himself on a needle that Porter has left on the couch that he flies into a rage and decides that Porter will be his seventh victim. I mean, when people leave things on the couch, too, I mean, I just decide to kill them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Good Lord. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I get it. It's a needle. It's the 90s. Like, you know, AIDS epidemic. I don't know how serious it was in Australia, but, you know, 80s and 90s is kind of around that time. Um, He waits until Vaslakis has left the house to carry out his plan. Porter joins the other bodies in the barrels, stored in the garage at Murray Bridge House. However, Bunting doesn't stop there. When Vaslakis returns to the house, Bunting takes his protege out to the garage where he has shown the body of his mate, Gavin. This is repeated with the bodies of Lane and Gardner. The sight makes Vaslakis violently ill, uh, but he's so afraid that he agrees to go along with Bunting's plans, including accessing Porter's social security payments. Oh my god. August 1998. It's time for Vaslakis to experience his first kill. Bunting convinces his protege that his older half-brother, Troy Yude, should be punished for sexually abusing Vaslakis. Bunting, Wagner, and Vaslakis enter Yude's bedroom armed with, a make- uh, armed with makeshift clubs. They beat him before dragging him into the bathroom and recording his voice. <laughs> okay, this makes no sense. Also, can he get off um, Tres- the, the girl who... The girl, oh my god. <laughs> the one who is experiencing the first murder. Vaslakis? Yes, I can't say the name. Vaslakis? Yeah. Um, could... What's their pronouns? He. He. So can he get off of murder for being, like, forced to do these things? Is that, like... Does he enjoy it? If he'd stopped here? So Possibly? He, 
is he forced to do more murders or is it like willingly does he kind of get like a taste and dabbles in it and he's like this is for me it (laughs) seems like he gets taste and dabbles in it he's also a a drug addict so his brain is fried yeah it's gone okay so i don't know not that that's an excuse no (laughs) but i don't know how um cognizant he is toward the end Okay. Because, I mean, he brings his other half-brother to be killed. Yeah. So, I'm not really sure. Ugh. Um, uh, so they record his voice. Um, That's so silly. Which I think was that. then, I think, I didn't write this down, I should have. But I'm pretty sure it's, like, now known to be, like, the voices of the dead or something. Like, it's it's referred to as something. Like, to all, do of this the, case. all of this, all of this, because they just record, like from Lane, they start recording there. <sighs> that gives me the chills. Mm-hmm. I couldn't listen to it. I was. Oh, I kind of want to. <laughs> I kind of want to listen to them. <laughs> we can find it, but uh, <laughs> only if you're here with me. Should we post it on Instagram <clears throat> and just say like viewer discussion? If we advice? can find it, okay. Um, because I, I, I honestly am slightly curious to know what all they're making them say. Yeah, and, and I want to like, know how. how sound. Yeah, I was about to say like how the police, how believable is it? Yeah, because like if the police heard somebody being like, "I'm okay," and then being like, "This guy's fine," like it's totally yeah. fine. Wow, like, he sounds like he's having a fun time. Uh, yeah, he sounds like he's on the beach somewhere. You know, just drinking a margarita. It's fine. No, like I feel like I want to. I want to know on what level am I judging these cops? Right, that's true. That's true. We should do research before we judge. Because it's not looking good for them right now. No, it's really not. Um, So they then ensure that he loses consciousness after they've got this recording. Um, Bunting orders Vaslakis to kick his dead brother before helping him dump the body in the shed. The stench in the garage is terrible, and Vaslakis is sick and terrified. However, he has no issues with accessing his dead brother's benefits to buy drugs. Um, So there's now eight people dead. Um, and nothing to stop the killing. Um, all the police have are a couple of missing person reports, a couple of suspect of suspect social security frauds, and then the unresolved murder of the still unidentified Clinton Trulias. But they have the damning evidence of the re- recorded... All they think... Thing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. All they think right now <laughs> is that it's some social security fraud. Like, and some missing persons kind of thing. Like... But they might not be missing, you know, because right. of the recording. Exactly. So, exactly. I mean, they're just so, like, <laughs> believable. <laughs> but, like, and they haven't even got them connected. Like, they're just like, hmm, weird. Like, Is it all still in the same crime. area? Yes. Oh, sort of. So, I couldn't show, like, I could show you on a map, but, like, I can't draw you up a map right now. But, like, there's Adelaide. Salisbury North is, like, a suburb of Adelaide. So, it's, like, how so there's Dayton, and then there's, like... Um, Beaver Creek is, like, a suburb of Dayton. Okay. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then Murray Bridge is about 50 miles away from Adelaide. Okay. So... Is that where they are now? That's where the bodies are currently being held. Oh, they are? Okay. Yeah. So, a lot of them have been killed in... The, the early ones were killed in Salisbury North. Okay. And then moved to Murray Bridge. The later ones were killed in Murray Bridge. Okay. Um, so that's where Yude was killed. So, like, it's just, like, this wide area of missing persons and social security fraud. And one body that they found 
in an, another area as well. So okay. they don't really connect them together yet. Mm. Um, so a month later, September 1998, mm. Bunting now has his sights in this. <laughs> this one I hate the most. Bunting now has his sights set on 18-year-old Fred Brooks. Brooks is the nephew of Mark Hayden's wife, Elizabeth oh. Sinclair. But yeah, Sinclair. Um, so Mark Hayden is another accomplice, but thus far has only been present at the deaths. I don't think he's done any killing. But he's witnessed it. Yep. And not said anything. Yep. And has gone along with it. Like, it's not just like, oh my gosh, what are you doing, guys? It's like, yeah, kill him. <laughs> He's he's their cheerleader. Right. (laughs) That's awful. Basically. Um, And I also read that uh, Brooks is also on some sort of disability pension. Okay. They said that he was, he had like a mental disability, but it didn't say what. Um, And he's simply an easy target. (sighs) Someone for the slackers to practice on. Oh, don't tell me that. So, Fred Brooks' murder will be the most gruesome yet, lasting a number of hours. He's stripped and beaten, lit cigarettes are placed in his nose and ears, and the killers burn a smiley face into his forehead with a cigarette lighter, which they also use to burn his nipples. Bunting attaches a variac machine to Brooks' genitals with alligator clips. What's that? Um, From what I could see... It sends like variac machine. Um, it sends electric currents, like two things. So it'd be like a car battery. It's a variac time. transformer. Our variable AC power supplies that provide adjustable AC voltage. So, I don't know what any my. <laughs> so it, it sends like electric currents to. Um, like shocking him? Yeah. Oh, okay. So they attached it to his genitals and shocked him. Oh my god. <laughs> and this man has done nothing. Mm-hmm. This this teenager has done nothing. Oh, this, teen- this child has <gasps> I done forgot. nothing. Um, still wanting to create pain, Bunting pro- produced and inserted a sparkler into Brooke's penis and lit it. Oh my god. Watching it burn down to the end. Wagner and Bunting found this so hilarious that they did it again with a second sparkler. Finally, Bunting and Wagner used syringes to inject water into Brooks' testicles, and sometime after that, he finally passes away. So he lived through all of that. Oh my god. And then I just gave up because of the pain, I guess. Which, fair. Yeah. And this is the point that I call you and say, I don't know if I can do true crime stories, Kayla. I think I'm too sensitive. This is this is going to sound really bad. Mm. And I don't mean this how it's going to come off. Mm-mm. But I've heard a lot worse. Oh, I know. And it I'm is, sure. Yeah. But this is this is not okay. Do not get no. me wrong. Oh my god, this is horrific. Yes. But... I'm sure that there are cases that are much crazy. But it's just like... The first murder was they beat his head in. Yeah. The ninth murder was they put a sparkler in his penis. Oh, my God. Like. Oh, I can't imagine that. Like. How sick of a person I, I just. Be. Who sees a sparkler and goes, you know what would be fun? Like, 
just... And this kid's 18. Fred is? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I forgot how old he was. I couldn't remember if you said 16 or 17 or 18. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Makes my um, stomach hurt so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, this at this point, so the bodies to backtrack before Fred had been moved back to uh, Adelaide uh, to Mark Hayden's house, which is in Smithfield Plains, which is just another suburb of mm. Adelaide. Okay. Um, so then Brooks is taken back there as well. Fred. Um, yeah, Fred. Fred, Fred Brooks. Brooks. Okay. Um, where the other barrels have since been moved. Um, his Centrelink, Centrelink benefits are then accessed by the motorist gang. So Centrelink is like um, Social Security, basically. Oh, okay. So they have like different um, pension plans, either for like disability or um, they have like one for students. Like, okay. so if you're just going to uni, like college, they have like one that you can. It's like low income and stuff like that. And oh, they like also CareSource have, here. I guess. Like CareSource and Social Security mixed, I guess. Kind of. So, like, when I was a college student, I could access Centrelink because it would have been a lot for me to work full-time and study Mm full-time. So the government would give you a stipend to, like, help you support yourself, basically, while you were studying. Oh, so it's like student loans. Kind of. But I don't... At least when I got it, you didn't have to pay it back. I don't know if they've changed it Oh, you don't have to pay it back. Mm -mm. Oh, okay. They also have one for, like, uh, job seekers who are just, like they lost their job or whatever and they need some help until they find a job and they also while giving you the money you have to go to these meetings and prove that you're actively looking for work and all that sort of stuff and we have that here yeah um they also have for like aged pension mm. and i think there's also one for like families with small kids mm. so it's just a bunch of different programs centrelink is it's like a government run okay did they have to pay thing. any of that back i don't think so. I was on Newstart for a little bit when I lost my job, and I didn't have to pay any back. I just okay. had to show that I was going to interviews and applying for so many jobs a month and okay. or a, a week or whatever it was. Yeah. Um. So when I say Social Security, I mean Centrelink. Okay. Um. So following month, uh, October of 1998, Bunting and the spot 29-year-old Gary O'Dwyer hobbling across the road from where they sit in a car. O'Dwyer is on a disability pension after a shocking car accident. To Bunting, O'Dwyer is easy prey. He introduces himself and Vlasilakis to O'Dwyer and earn themselves an invite back to Gary's home. As they're all sitting around in the living room having drinks, Bunting stands up, giving the signal to the others. Wagner grabs O'Dwyer from behind and begins to choke him. All the while, Bunting calls, Stop! You're killing him! Without a trace of irony. The group proceeds to beat O'Dwyer up before using the various torches that they had used previously. Once again, they gain his financial details and record his voice to try and throw off his family. Finally, O'Dwyer is strangled in his home in Francis Street, Murray Bridge. There are ten people dead, and another person, another disembodied body, dismembered body, ends up in a barrel. (sighs) And it doesn't stop there. I just don't understand. So, like, they've moved on from, like... Pedophiles. Pedophiles. The last and, like, four murders weren't pedophiles. Well, allegedly, Yude was, but... So they've just... I mean, he's... He's slipping. Yeah. He's just, oh, that looks like someone easy that I can kill I haven't killed in a while. 
Wow. Yeah. How sick do you have to be? I mean, how sick do you have to be to torture insects, but still. Pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. I just... Remember Mark Hayden, the accomplice? Mm Mm-hmm. Bunting doesn't like his wife, Elizabeth Sinclair. (laughs) He doesn't like anyone, apparently. No. No. Uh, In fact, with O'Dwyer out of the way, he decides that it's time for her to die. Bunting and Wagner go over to her house while her children and husband, Hayden, Mark Hayden, are out. According to Bunting's claims, Elizabeth behaved sexually towards him. She was tortured and killed in her own home before her body was also put in a barrel. Oh my god. Later, when Mark is shown his wife's remains in the barrel, he supposedly laughs and doesn't appear upset. Take his children right now. Take them right now. You plop those babies up and you mm-hmm. take them. Send them to anyone. Anyone is better. Literally than anyone. Her, their dad. Send them to live in the woods with the wolves, dude. Protect well, them. I know. The dingoes? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, however, due to her closeness to the group, her disappearance gives the police a key lead. Oh, Along now with fears we're it. that this is now a case of serial killings. Eleven victims. Hmm, this is odd. Maybe this is some serial killings. <laughs> I want to beat my head against the wall. <laughs> Which brings us to May 1999. Detectives are closing in on the gang of killers, but they're still not fully aware of the enormity of their crimes. They have no idea just how deadly this case is. Mother's Day 1999. Vlasakis and Johnson arrive at abandoned bank at an abandoned bank on Railway East Terrace. Despite the constant surveillance, surveillance and police phone taps, Johnson is about to become the twelfth and final victim. Once at the bank, Johnson is strangled, handcuffed, and his own voice and his voice is recorded, confessing to crimes and acts that he hasn't done. Johnson also gives up his financial information. Wagner and Vasilakis leave Bunting alone with Johnson to try and access Johnson's funds through a nearby ATM. While they are away, Bunting kills David Johnson. Unfortunately, their sick game isn't over. When Wagner and Vasilakis return, the former, Wagner, is upset that he hasn't had a chance to play with Johnson. He suggests that they have a little more fun with his body. After dismembering Johnson, they take parts of his flesh, fry, and ate them to fried and ate them together as a group. They even fed the human remains to another friend who had no idea what was going on. Like, they just went over to a mate's house and was like, hey, try this meat. Did, did they explain where the meat came from? No. I, and he ate it? Mm-hmm. Does he know that they're serial killers? No. He hasn't. So, the friend owned... Or, like, was renting the house opposite the bank where they were staying, like, in the house. And so they went over to the bank, which Bunting was also renting out. Um, so supposedly this person had no idea of the situation. Oh, my God. Yep. Did he break out in hives or anything like that? You can sometimes do that when you eat They didn't say. They just said that they'd fed it to someone else. Oh, that's so sick. Um... Now comes possibly one of the only competent police in South Australia. So Ian Young, who is now retired, um, <laughs> but a South funny. Australian police senior constable, 
Because he was young. That's funny. <laughs> what? Why is it funny that his name is Young? Because he originally went after, Bunting originally went after, like, pedophiles and everything, well, but it's going to be the guy with the last name Young to, like, come after him, and, like, it's kind of ironic. True. I didn't think of that. <laughs> so he was second in charge at the Snowtown Police Department at the time, and was out in the early hours of the morning um, on patrol. And while he was on patrol, he noticed a Toyota Land Cruiser in the driveway of a home opposite the bank. The Toyota has no number plate and was seen earlier in the year with some barrels in the back of the vehicle. Young makes a mental note of the car and returns later that day. And this is like some like MacGyver level like brilliance. But with the sun shining where the number plate should be, the dust on the bumper shows a license plate number. He takes the number down and does a motor vehicle check on the registration and finds that it has been flagged with major crime in Adelaide. How has it been flagged with major crime if they have never been accused of anything? I'm guessing it's something like, you know, like running a bunch of lights or like it's some separate uh, crime, but still has been like linked to some like... Uh, nefarious deeds. Yeah. But he... I just... The dust on the bumper from the sun shows the license plate number. Like, I don't understand what that means. Like, I, I, I don't either. So it's like, I guess that was... But through somehow, by the sun and the dust, he gets the number to, like, get this so he plate. couldn't see the license plate? He drove by it was really early in the morning. The license plate was gone. Oh, there the was license no plate license wasn't plate. there. Yes. How does that make sense? I know. I bleh, no idea. But, like, I listened to um, a radio interview with this guy. And he was just like, yeah, you know, I noticed it and just kind of seemed odd. And I was like, well, I you know, better come back later. And came back later and was like, yeah, looking around. And he's like, yeah, you could see the number in the dust. How? <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if they were trying to take the license plate off to their bumper, maybe? Maybe. Or, like, there was, like, a hole in, like, the, the numbers were cut out. And, the like, I... This man is magic. Yes. If that's the case. I think it was just the time was finally up. And, like, it just, everything, like... The planets aligned. Oh my god. Couldn't they have aligned, like, 11 bodies ago? <laughs> 12, but yeah. 12 bodies ago? <laughs> so, May 20th, 1999, uh, detectives from... So, they, they flag this number, mm-hmm. and then the detectives see the flag pop up and go, Hey, let's <laughs> head down to Snowtown, or up, or let's go to Snowtown. So, they descend on the sleepy wheat farming town of Snowtown. They have discovered that John Bunting is renting a disused bank building in town. The detectives go to the bank and let themselves in the side door, through the bank vault. When they enter the side door, the bank vault is covered in plastic, like plastic top. That's where they do their killings, or probably dismember. Um, Before they even enter the vault, they know something isn't right, because of the plastic. As they enter and push the plastic back that is covering the doorway, they are hit with the foul stench of dead bodies. 
I was just about to say. The officers immediately call for reinforcements and special equipment. A few hours later, in the early evening, they venture back inside the vault. They open the lid to one of the barrels to discover dismembered human remains. And I'm going to butcher this person's name. But Massiege Hennenberg, who is a professor of anatomy at the University of Adelaide, is called in to assist the identification. So often with serial killers, murder alone can't satisfy their sick urges. Their methods become more and more unhinged as they try to find a way to scratch their murderous itch. If the killers were planning on destroying the evidence of their crimes by putting them in acid, they failed. They placed the bodies in hydrochloric acid, which isn't, doesn't so easily dissolve human tissues. It actually preserved the bodies in the barrel. So like if they had done, like, I think they said, I think he had said if they'd used, like, sulfuric acid or something, yeah. it would have dissolved, like, it would have just been, like, sludge. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's what I was thinking. But because they used hydrochloric acid, they were, were a lot more, um, isn't that, like, intact. Isn't that what they use in museums and stuff when they're, like, 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 like for, brains um, and, like, fetuses and everything? I'm not sure. I thought that's what they used for it. That's why when you said that, I was like, idiots. <laughs> Yes, so that's what I mean. They were smart in that they, they covered their tracks with recordings and stuff, but they were using the wrong acid the entire time, so they preserved the evidence. The recordings actually make me laugh so hard. I want to listen to these. Like, we'll it's going to be really hard to listen to them. Don't get me wrong. Oh, but yeah. Like, and I don't even know if I could... I mean, I didn't look. Yeah. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is not something I want to listen to by yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, especially because a lot of my research is done while Jay is at work. Yeah. And... It's scary enough listening to it in daytime. Yeah. Um, but we can look and see what we can find. I don't mm. know if they'll have them up on the thing. I mean, it was only like 22, 23 years ago, so. Mm. Which is crazy, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so they, th- they send three separate squads out to arrest Bunting, Wagner, and Hayden. And both squad has two groups, a search group and an arrest group. So they made sure that they weren't together to, like, not catch them, like, aware, basically. Like, they wanted them to be separate, and they just wanted it to be, like, bam, bam, bam. Okay, good. Um, Bunting is arrested first, mm-hmm. uh, along briefly with Elizabeth Harvey, who is okay. the mother of Lislakis yeah. and Yude. Um, at the station, Bunting is charged with one count of murder. Around the same time, Wagner... Robert Wagner and separately Mark Hayden are also arrested, taken to the police station, and also charged with one count of murder. Jamie Vlasakis is questioned a few days later. Over six days, he tells the police everything he knows, hoping for immunity for his crimes. Vlasakis also leads the police to where Ray Davies and Susan Allen are buried. Hmm. Ten of the bodies are identified, however, Clinton Trezise and Thomas Trevelyan are are not connected to the murders. Eventually, though, Bunting, Wagner, and Hayden are charged with ten counts of murder. Lasakis is tried with five counts. When the four men appear before the magistrate, there is obvious tension between the four of them. Bunting, Wagner, and Hayden taunt and threaten Vaslakis, causing him to be quite distressed. For the rest of the twi- trials, they are, se- they are kept separate from him due to court intervention. Vaslakis under police protection. Before Elizabeth Harvey can take part in any of the proceedings, she dies of cancer. 
since he can, he no longer has to protect his mother, the Slarkus decides that he can now tell the whole truth. So he was not telling everything because he didn't want his mother to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So Bunting and Wagner are tried in the South Australian Supreme Court on 12 counts of murder. Hayden is tried with 10 counts of murder and 6 counts of assisting offenders. Initially, all three deny the charges. However, Wagner, in the face of overwhelming evidence, pleads guilty to three murders. Bunting and Hayden maintain their innocence. Wagner's trial is interrupted when three of the jurors are so horrified of the evidence that they refuse to continue and withdraw from the jury. Of the 12 counts of murder, they convict John Bunting of 11 counts and Wagner of seven to add to the three he has already pled guilty to before the trial. Finally, 11 months after it begins, the longest criminal trial in South Australia's history comes to an end. Six weeks later, Bunting and Wagner appear before the court for sentencing. Justice Brian Martin accuses them of being cowards, having killed for pleasure and showing no remorse at all, before sentencing them to life. A final appeal is made in May 2005, which the Supreme Court dismisses. In 2006, Mark Ray Hayden's murder charges are dropped when he finally admits to the killing of his wife, Elizabeth Hayden, and Troy Ude. He is sentenced to 25 years in prison, with parole only eligible after serving 18 years. Hayden applied for parole in May of 2017, but it was denied. Good. And again in August of 2021. Though I couldn't find any more information on that um, application. Mm. Um, it said in the only article that I could access without having to pay to read, mm-hmm. it said that they would most likely reach their decision at the end of 2021, but then I couldn't find anything saying that he had been released. Hated. So I'm assuming, yeah, I'm assuming mm. that it wasn't approved. Okay. Um, John Justin Bunting and Robert Joe Wagner received life. In fact, they received like 11 life sentences, basically. One for each person, with no parole date set. Jamie Sheridan Vaslakis receives life. Again, I think it was like three or like, you know, five life sentences or whatever. But however, uh, he's eligible for parole after serving 26 years. So that'll be 20... 24, 25, mm. I think. Um, Justice Martin tells Bunting and Wagner, if I had the power to make an order that you were never to be released, I would uh, I would unhesitatingly make that order. Good. Um, and that's all of the information that I could find. <laughs> I understand the two, is it two witnesses or all the witnesses on the stand? Oh, the jurors? It was three of them. Oh, three of them? Mm -hmm. I can understand them leaving because of how horrific it is. Um, But I feel like I would stay. And and, and I would be horrified, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But, like, I would stay because I would want to see this man for sure go to prison. And I would want to be one of those people that for sure put him in there. My thing is, I, I would stay as well. Like, I wouldn't leave. But more so that I've already heard... The gruesome details. Yeah. It's going to stick with me forever. Yeah. Like, you know, I did the research for this in June, July. I don't know when we first started planning this. Mm. And I still think about 
some of the things that mm. I've researched. Yeah. So, like, it, dropping out of the trial as jury isn't going to take those details from my mind. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, I, I'm going to stick around and see that you never get out. Yeah. Um, it's... So, my background of this case... I, I, I think we, I mentioned it in the last podcast, but I was traveling home from the Estedford in Adelaide, the Rock Estedford. The bus broke down, and one of the teachers was like, huh, Snowtown murders happened, like, that way. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, weird, okay, what's that? And he's like, you know, the body's found in the barrel. And I was like, ugh, weird, okay. <laughs> and that's all I knew about it. Uh -huh. However, none of the bodies were actually, except for one, were not killed in Snowtown. Like, it's just where they ended up disposing of the bodies. I was going to ask, because you kept saying certain, like, places and everything right. that wasn't You're like, Snowtown. none of this is Snowtown. What is, I know. Why I was is very it called the Snowtown Murders? I was thinking we were going to end up there, maybe, and that was where he we said he was worst murder. So that's where the bank, that's where the bank was. Oh, okay. So, uh, David Johnson was the only of the 12 victims who was murdered in Snowtown. The rest of them were all murdered in, uh, Salisbury North, Murray Bridge, and there was another one. The only one I can remember is Salisbury, because Salisbury's taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so it just was this unfortunate thing. And, like, the town still lives with it today, because the Snowtown is known for the bodies in the barrel murder case. That's so crazy. But, like, none of them were actually, like, only one of them was actually killed there. So, why did he put them in barrels? Did he work someplace that had to do with barrels? He worked for an abattoir meat processing plant. Like oh, you did say that. Okay. But I don't know what the barrels... I think they were just like, yeah, plastic barrels. We can fill it with acid. Because he used to drop bugs into acid. Okay. I don't know where a kid gets acid. Like, because all they said was he used to, like, drop bugs into, like, different concoctions of acid. Like, that was, like, I guess he made some connection to the acid that he was, like, dropping bugs in. He was like, whoa, that was fun. Let's try it with dead people and see what happens. Ugh. The barrel thing reminds me of the Chris Watts case. Mm. Um, it's, it's a really sad case. Um, but it was a recent case. Oh, really? Over the last couple years, I think. Oh. Um, I think it's pre-COVID, actually. Okay. Um, but it was pretty recent. And just, like, a little snippet, he just, I mean, his family goes missing, mm -hmm. his wife and children. I think he had two kids. I could be wrong. Maybe mm -hmm. it was just one, but I think he had two kids. He killed them. And um, was the wife pregnant? I think, yes, actually, I think she was. I think I do remember yeah. hearing about, actually, I think it was, like, right before COVID. Yeah, yeah, so, and he worked in a construction, and it was either construction or, like, cement or something like uh -huh. that put them in barrels and, like, you know. So that's where I thought was, like, mm. that's what made me think of this or whatever. Mm -hmm. This case has so many elements of so many other different cases. Like, it's really, like, it's very, like, Manson, but it's mm -hmm. also kind of Ted Bundy, but it's also kind of um, Chris Watts. Like, there's so yeah. many things that just, this case reminds me of so many. And it, that normally doesn't really happen when I listen to cases mm -hmm. and stuff, but this is just very, like, all over the place. Right. <laughs> and it's just... I don't know it, it just there's something about it I and mean, and maybe it's just because 
Like, as far as serial killers go, I don't think there's a whole lot of Australian serial killers. I'm sure there are some. Yeah. But, like, this is kind of, like, the serial killer case that you think of when you think of Australian crime. Mm -hmm. And so it's just odd to have researched this thing and, like, having these places. Like, I used to do a singing competition in Murray Bridge. Like, we would drive to Murray Bridge. Like, it's maybe... What year, though? Oh, like, years after. Like, this was in, like, the... Like, 2006, 7, 8, around then. But it's, like, four hours... Adelaide is four hours away from the town that I grew up in. Like, it's not that far. Yeah. Um, And, like, you know... So, like, when I was, like, Murray Bridge, I was, like, I've been there. (laughs) Like, I've driven around, like, those towns. I've been to, like, the, like, places around there. Yeah. Like, it just... It's close to home without being close to home like it's not the same state that I grew up in yeah but so like noticing all of these names and be like oh yeah I've heard of that I've driven through there I've like seen this I've, like, yeah it just was kind of crazy yeah <laughs> to think of these these people are like we're like walking around the same streets like they could have walked the same path that you know yeah you know or like gone past the same building or any of that sort of stuff like it's when you think of serial killers, at least when I think of serial killers, I just think of, like, people on the TV or in movies. Like, it's not... I don't know those places. Mm-hmm. Even some of those surnames. Like, I went to school with a guy whose last name was Zarita. Really? Yeah. I, I, there's probably no relation. Oh, yeah. But, like, it's it's just That's these surnames common. pop up that I'm like, oh, yeah, I know someone with that name. Yeah. Like That's not a common last name, though. No, well, yeah. I don't think so. At least not in... I've never heard of it. In Australia. I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, if, if you guys are listening, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just... It was a good one to start with for me. Yeah. But it was also very close to home. <laughs> yeah, of course. I When I hear serial killers, I think of the state. Right. I, I always think of people here. I think my mind immediately goes to the satanic panic age for mm-hmm. some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. And I start having all these flashes in my head, like John Wayne Gacy, like mm-hmm. Ted Bundy, and like uh, uh, Willie Pickton, mm-hmm. uh, Willie Pig Pickton. Oh, what's his name? I think it's Willie, Willie Pig Pickton, I think is what his it was called or whatever. That case is insane mm-hmm. if anyone knows what that case is like oh, I mean, we could add it to the list it's coming but, but I'm here's not the thing right <laughs> when you are such a true crime buff mm-hmm. like anything that I would research I have to pick something that you're not gonna hear of like that you haven't heard of or you yeah. don't know as much about yeah and when you are like so into it it's like <laughs> Well, shoot, what's something that she might not have heard of? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I've heard of smaller ones, too. Mm-hmm. I follow a channel that does a lot of smaller cases, and mm-hmm. she works with the families, you know, and really oh, just to raise me. awareness with her platform and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really like that, too. But I just, yeah, I'm really <laughs> into true crime, and I've heard some really devastating cases that oh, I, yeah. some that I refuse to even talk about in private. Like, mm-hmm. I can't repeat some of the things that I've heard because mm-hmm. it is absolutely, I mean, I, if there's like a special place in hell, like 
Hell's Dungeon, and then below that, and then, mm-hmm. like, Bedrock, and then below that, and then below even that, mm-hmm. that is where some of these people that I've, like, heard of, like, come from. Like, what is that, um, Seven Layers of Hell, or, like... Oh, like Dante's Inferno. Dante's Inferno, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. So, like, the very bottom, bottom, or bottom. Or not even on the map. Like, no, it's not like even the on the thirteenth level that no one ever hears about. <laughs> yeah, there were some cases that I had to genuinely stop because I was crying. I gen- mm-hmm. I had to stop. I had to listen to it over days of time because mm-hmm. I just genuinely couldn't handle it. And this is not like Ted Bundy level. I'm talking mm-hmm. Ted Bundy to me. If you're talking just like regular serial killers, mm-hmm. Ted Bundy to me is the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I mm-hmm. think he's the worst of the worst. Just, just, just how how his mind works. Mm-hmm. But the other cases are very like. Cases that you would, like, on, without saying too much, with, like, um, the dark web. Like, mm. Is that what it's called? The dark web? Yeah. Stuff like that. So you, you've you heard, like, rumors about what goes on on the dark web and everything. I, I've listened to cases where people cover about certain things that, mm. you know, certain things that the cops have had, or like the FBI pure, have had to cover. Like, uh, serial killers are evil, but, like... Pure evil. Yeah, this is pure, unfiltered evil. Like, yeah. sh- stuff that I can't... I, yeah. I je- I've never even told Alex about it because I cannot repeat it. Like, mm. just saying it out loud makes me very sick to my stomach. Mm. And it was really hard to listen to. So, but that, we're not going to cover those cases. Because no. you would not be able to handle it. No. <laughs> I don't think I could handle talking about it. I couldn't handle it. this case. No. <laughs> but some of the ones that... The next case is my episode about mm. the ghost here in my yes. family, right? Bessie. Bessie, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm excited because I really wanted to keep reading that article that I found. Yes. But I don't want to be spoiled, so. No. <laughs> so I'm really, <laughs> I'm really hoping that it's as exciting and that there's enough information. I'm sure there will be. I mean, yeah. we can, like, uh, rediscuss. I'm looking up to see what our next episode is after that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that there's plenty to cover it on yeah. even if maybe we need to add another case on there or something or, yeah you know, we'll figure it out i mean we can even add my ghost stories and stuff well no because we did that <laughs> we discussed them a little bit i mean the groan in the last episode we didn't get one this time or at least no, i didn't, I, hear, I didn't hear anything yeah but i mean i was really deep in your story too <laughs> what? the way that i told uh, my friend Corey about it yeah um afterwards because i was like my friend Corey is doing a lot of our graphics and stuff. Yeah. And so I was talking to her about it. And I was like, yeah, we recorded the first episode. We're super excited. We caught a ghost. And I was telling her about how we were discussing how uh, I get a feeling of discomfort yeah. in the front area of your home. Yeah. Um, and Corey was like, oh, so the ghost was like, heard you were talking about me. What's that? And like, yeah. had to like, let themselves be known. And Literally. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I hear groans like that all the time. I mean, I haven't heard one in a, in another couple weeks, I think. Mm. Since then, actually. Since mm. we recorded that. But Maybe they're finally okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could get Oogie okay with you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it might. But, anyway. There is actually also a thump in the other episode. What? Uh, in the first episode, there's a thump. The last one? Yeah, but I can't remember where it was. Like There's this. another one? Mm-hmm. But I didn't hear that one until I was listening to it afterwards. Oh, we have to find that. Yeah. I think I think I recorded a video of it and sent it to my 
mom and grandma to be oh, like, yeah. look. And my mom was like, mm, I believe you, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, um, show me because I absolutely believe you. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Um, and then I'll post that on the Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, That's crazy that we found... that was, There was two on that one. Yeah. Because wasn't Alex in bed at the time? Yeah, Alex was upstairs in bed in the front. Your your bedroom's in the front end of the house, right? Mm-hmm. And then this is the bedroom this, that's not this bedroom, used. Yeah, this bedroom's locked. The one right above us where we kept yeah. catching all the thumps and stuff, that yeah. bedroom's locked because... Uh, the ceiling caved in, right. <laughs> so we can't even go in there. Um, but no animals can get in or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's just like the outer layer of the ceiling kind of mm-hmm. came in, and mm-hmm. it's just a small area of it. But there's no animals up there. Nothing got in or anything like right. that. So you know, I can see into the bedroom because our walk-in closet also kind of goes into the bedroom, mm-hmm. but it's closed. That door's closed all the time. Mm-hmm. But they, it has like all these. Um, it has blinds, and you mm-hmm. can see through into mm-hmm. the bedroom. Um, so, I was able to confirm that there was no animals right up there. So, I don't know. <laughs> we actually had to pause really quick. <laughs> um, my fiance got home, and I was in the middle of talking to him while Kaylin was behind me petting my cat, and I heard humming, and I took, I like turned around and I looked at her, and I was like, oh, her mouth's open, uh, it's probably nothing. And then I was like, wait, if her mouth's open, how is she humming? And I was like, is that you? And she was like, are you humming? And I was like, no. I was like making kissy noises to the cat. <laughs> I heard humming. And I the only other time I've heard humming in this apartment was when that... And coming from that room, too. Coming from the room above us that we kept hearing the steps from. See, part of me, and, and like, I, I do not mess with Ouija boards or seances. No. I, I do not. No, ma'am. <laughs> no, thank you. But part of me kind of wants to go and record the Bessie episode up there. Do you want to? Like, sit in the room. I've never been in your upstairs. It's going to be echoey. I hate your upstairs. You've never even been up there. No, but I, I have so many feelings towards, like, I, I can't even look up your stairs. But that's where we've had a lot of the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, <laughs> paranormal footage. Like, <laughs> I feel like such a knobhead saying uh, Paranormal activity, <laughs> like they're out there playing tennis well, like, and that's stuff. that's where we've, like, had the sounds and stuff from. Yeah. But then at the same time, we record quite late because I work quite late and Alex sleeps pretty early. Yeah. So... But there's no excuse for noises or anything. Well, no, he's yeah. dead to the world once he's. Oh out there. yes, he is absolutely. But I wish that we would have caught that hum. Yeah. While we were recording, we paused it because Alex walked in the door and like the front door is quite loud. It's loud, and yeah. he wanted to say goodnight and stuff. Yeah. But it's just it saves oh, me man. cutting footage out. Yeah, <laughs> I just wish that we caught that because it was so clear, and then we kind of like. After Alex went to bed and everything, I was like, we're we were talking quietly. about it, and we were just sitting quietly trying to listen. And there's no one next door, because usually we hear the kids running up and down and in and out. And yeah, like, my neighbors aren't home right now. I really don't know where they are. They weren't home yesterday. <laughs> um, so we're doing Bessie Little next week with Kayla. Mm-hmm. Very excited for that. Yeah. And then episode four, so I think there's five 
uh, Mondays in October. Oh, oh, you said that. So episode four will be with me again, Mm -hmm. and I'll be looking into the world of shifting, which is what the kids on TikTok are doing right now. Yeah, (laughs) I've never heard of that until you said it. And then episode five will be our Halloween special Mm -hmm. at the farm, Mm -hmm. where we're going to record at the farm, and we're going to talk about some of the family stories Mm -hmm. from from the old farmhouse. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be good. I'm excited. That one's going to be our biggest episode. It's going to be so long. I'm going to try to stay really hard on track. Yeah, as it is, I think this is going to have to be two parts, but I think I'll just upload both parts at once. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it makes the most sense. I don't think I can upload two different files into one podcast, but I'll have a look. Mm. Um, but I don't want to cut it in half mm-hmm. and like be like, well, tune in next week because that yeah. throws all of this off. Yeah. So, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Or maybe you'll just get two episodes in a week or something. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, anyway mm-hmm. um, thanks for listening, you guys. <laughs> yes, thank you guys. We're so happy this is our second episode, and we're hoping many more to come. Yeah. And I'm really excited to do Bessie Little next week, so we hope you tune in then. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Ghost Tea Podcast. You can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash ghost tea podcast or on Instagram at ghost tea underscore podcast. That's G-H-O-S-T-E-A podcast. If you have any topics you'd like us to discuss or just want to say hi, you can email us at ghost tea podcast at outlook.com.